Hello. Happy New Week. How are we doing? Welcome to Not The Top 20 Podcast. This is the Monday pod sponsored by Betfair. It's good to be back doing things in the usual manner after last week's triple pod week, which we hope you enjoyed. It's back to basics. I'm Ali Maxwell. I've got George Ellick with me and George, very little to discuss from the weekend. So it's a, it's a shame in a way that unlike Premier League podcasts, we can't just sift through robot referee decisions to pad out our talking points. Oh, actually, actually, why don't we go uh-huh. straight into Championship Bad Cop? Wow, not even an introduction, not even a hello, how are you for me there? <laughs> Just straight into Bad Cop. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be remiss of us not to give Bad Cop to Hawkeye, Mr. H.I., who didn't play very well or didn't perform up to the abilities we would expect in the Huddersfield-Blackpool game on Sunday. Now, we don't like talking about refereeing decisions too often, I think especially when something as quite clearly good as Hawkeye you know it's not like the VAR conversation where there are quite clearly big issues with the sheer existence of of VAR I think there is not a single person even angry Huddersfield fans this morning who would argue that they should abolish Hawkeye yet Huddersfield looked to have bundled the ball home wheeled off in celebration it was uh, Nakayama, um, who uh, the second attempt seemed to get the ball over the line. Grimshaw in goal seemed to kind of do a bit of a Roy Carroll and, and kind of pick the ball out from behind the, the goal line. And and the goal wasn't given. And there's been a statement since the EFL saying they're incredibly frustrated that a te- technology failure at Huddersfield Town overshadowed a fantastic week- weekend of action on the pitch. Hawkeye have effectively said that uh, the match officials didn't receive a signal to their watch uh, due to multiple factors, but the ball was no longer being tracked, which seems a little bit weird. Mm. And then PGMOL have, have confirmed that officials were unsighted due to obstruction by players. I think that's a bit harsh on the, the officials. I think when Hawkeye's in play, I personally would know that I would I would trust Hawkeye over my own eyes. Uh, I think it would take a brave man to, to start flagging furiously on the sideline, even when it's been clear that the ball's gone in, because we know that our eyes can, our eyes can often deceive us. But it is a shame because it's not really good enough. Um you know, we've had this in the past, you know, famously when football restarted after COVID, um, we had the, the the Villa Sheffield United situation. And whilst this is unlikely to be quite as, it may not have quite as big an impact as that had, given it's only early September, early signs suggest that both Huddersfield and Blackpool will be happy to secure their um, championship status for next season. And if um, there aren't very many points between the two of them come May, you can be pretty confident that Huddersfield Town fans are going to be pointing, well, we're going to be remembering this moment as being fairly significant in, 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 in the season. And added to the fact that in the Championship playoff final against Nottingham Forest, the general opinion was that Huddersfield could, should have had one, maybe two penalties given their way as well. They will be feeling pretty hard done by, understandably so. Uh, you've always and I love it every time you do it, railed against the idea that things even themselves out over the course of the season or over the course of a a, a set period of time. Um, That's not true, and it doesn't feel like that, certainly when it comes to Huddersfield. It's a tough scene for them. They've had a tough start to the season. Performance is poor, let's be honest, outside of this um, isolated incident, but not helped by it. Two defeats in a week for them, and already uh, in a bit of a scrap. A little 21 under 21 nod from this game, by the way, the Blackpool Huddersfield game. A few people on the NTT20 squad flagging Patrick Jones for Huddersfield 
as someone to keep tabs on. He's already got a league goal this season a couple of weeks ago. Apparently, he was a real bright spot for Huddersfield and uh, someone that we're going to be keeping a very close eye on over the next few weeks and months. Before I get on to, to good cop, George, I have a feeling, just sticking with Huddersfield, Neil Blackpool won, if you could be a good cop in the Championship this week, I have a feeling you might be talking about the apple of your eye who's been on your mind in the last 24 hours. Michael Appleton, Blackpool manager, going well. Yeah, I guess. Um, well, I tweeted yesterday about this. This wasn't meant to come across as like, a, haha, I told you he was good um, moment. It was more just that they just played and they just won and they've done okay so far. And, um, you know, I think understandably, there was quite a good re- reason given by one Blackpool fan who replied saying that, you know, Appleton obviously had a very, very bad first short spell in charge there, but it was also right in the depths of the of the Oyston era and, and kind of any relic from that time um, is, isn't really welcome back at Blackpool. And that was a big part of the reason why uh, his appointment was met with such disdain because uh, Simon Sadler's era is obviously much brighter and, and to go out and get someone who had previously agreed to work for the Oystons, even though he, he decided not to work for them again pretty soon afterwards, um, wasn't the best way to go. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a, a great start to the season for them so far. Um, it's no real shock. You know, you, you've seen a lot of uh, Blackpool fans lauding the performance of of Paveda, who, who hit the hit the post, um, Corbiano with his with with his goal as well. It's not a massive surprise in my book. That's three in uh, in his first uh, eight games, only three starts for for Corbiano now, um, who I think was a, a really smart and shrewd pickup. And it's no shock to see um, a Michael Appleton side who are who have a couple of, of really good loanees performing well because he's an absolute master of that craft. Um, and uh, yeah, we've seen them step up. So it's definitely been a very good start. You know, 11 points from eight games isn't anything, you know, incredible here. It's not like he's um, suddenly got them dreaming of, of anything more um, extraordinary than than still survival. But off the back of Josh Bowler uh, leaving the club on deadline day, um, only to be loaned out to Olympiacos, you know, they, the, compared to, to the team from last season, um, it is very, very different. And, and it's often hard to, take on um, the the job of a, a manager like Neil Critchley, although um, some suggestions that Critchley could be out of a job fairly soon as well until until Saturday. But um, it's a good start and, and I'm really happy to see that Blackpool fans are, are taking to Appleton's style of football and his man management style as well. I couldn't agree more and I'm very pleased that they've started well and that Appleton has started well. Uh, I had my reservations about how easy he would find it on a few different levels. Um, but he, from the looks of the replies to your tweet, has certainly... Uh, won the majority of the fans round and that was the first objective now what i'm going to say next is very tongue-in-cheek and meant to be <laughs> fun so i don't want any blackpool fans to get wound up but the replies to your tweet genuinely they resembled like those twitter bots that the russians have used to give like trump <laughs> support in the sense that you know how the technology is is developed enough that it's not just a copy and paste job. Like they say slightly different things that the Russian bots who are supporting Trump, mm. but like they all more or less have the same points to make and they all more or less say the same thing in a slightly different way. So it'd be like Donald Trump is brave and handsome and, and he's the man to make this country better. Like that's what we saw. Um, and, and, you know, it's pretty accepted across the globe that that's that's a thing. It's like the Blackpool fans have all agreed on on one line in particular when it comes to Appleton. <laughs> and it's that he and it's that he makes changes. So these are all direct quotes from replies to your tweet from last night. Direct quotes. <clears throat> He reacts in real time and will make a change without hesitation. Not frightened to change it when it's going wrong. He's not afraid to make changes. Ruthless with his subs if it's not working. 
reacts quickly when things aren't going right, never gives up and not afraid to change it, unlike that snake. And <laughs> lastly, I like the fact... a snake emoji, so... I like the fact he's not afraid to change things early rather than let the clock tick by. It's, this, it was quite weird. This isn't helping this my my reputation as being the spin doctor for my captain's <laughs> career, I've got to say. <laughs> I'm not saying there's like a Russian-backed company involved here, but I'm not not saying that either. And obviously, because I am who I am, I wanted to make sure that what they're saying is is like definitively true. And if they are seeing that and if that's very notable compared to last season then fair enough i'm not sure there's like a million examples so far of what they might be suggesting um he brought off gary medine after 20 minutes against stoke for corbiano so i guess that's probably the most stark uh example it wasn't an injury he just wasn't playing well the shape wasn't working they lost that game 2-0 it was 0-0 when the sub was made against swansea he whipped corbiano off at half time for lavery after he'd had a poor half it was 0-0 they lost 1-0. Against Bristol City, another half-time sub, straight sub at the back, Thornley on for Williams. It was 1-1 at that time. They drew 3-3. Outside of that, there's not a lot. Like, he, he lost to Black, they lost to Blackburn in midweek and he made his first sub on 67 when they were 1-0 down and made one more on 80. Um, looking league-wide on FB Ref, uh, he's used an average number of subs in the championship and each sub plays an average of 20 minutes, which is also league average. Critchley was just below average for subs used and they got an average of 19 minutes, which is one minute less than Appleton subs. So, uh, as, and then added to the fact that it's quite harsh to compare this, given he's allowed to make five subs and Critchley was only allowed to make three. I I just found it quite interesting, quite funny. Uh, and I love it because it means that they're backing him. He's won them round. That was job one uh, after the response to his appointment was fairly, um, fairly meh, wasn't it? So well done, Michael Appleton. You keep making those changes, big guy. Um, ah. We move on to good cop here and it's Reading 2 Stoke 1 related and it's the fact that I was absolutely delighted to be present at the Madstad for Lucas Schwau's 29th birthday party yesterday, Sunday. Mm. Reading beat Stoke 2-1, Lucas Schwau at the double. I-, I was experiencing some feelings of confusion about Reading's 22-23 season, I think it's fair to say. So I wanted to see them with my own eyes and I did so on Sunday and what I saw to start with was Stoke City having the balls, having the ball rather, um, probably <laughs> lacked balls, if anything, in possession throughout the game. Uh, they had the ball for 90 seconds, just moving it around. Uh, I, I was thinking, here we go. Alex Neal's Potters are ready to party. Uh, and then a cross was caught by Lumley, who produced an unbelievably good kick into the channel. That should be said first and foremost. And, and Lumley's distribution is definitely a strength of his. Lucas Rao, birthday boy on his bike. And at this point, it should be said, given how often Joanna Lumley is brought up to make a gag about Joe Lumley, I think it's only fair to say that Helena Bonham Carter would have handled the situation better than Jack Bonham. Nice. Who let the ball bounce over his head, Joao onto it, um, shot a goal, Flint on the line, boots it in, two minutes gone, one nil. And I was genuinely just sitting there laughing. It was so perfectly reading 22 23 uh it was great it was great uh, and also amazing watching back the highlights that the cameras caught bonham turning and saying to one of his teammates it bounced so high <laughs> like yes mate it's a ball famously famously obedient to the laws of physics they they are um it was funny and then from, from that point on i mean stoke did get back level from a set piece flint knocking it down for wilmot deflected finish um, but they did not a lot. Like it was mostly Stoke making very heavy weather of pretty stale possession. I watched their back three attempt to combine 224 passes and most of them made my eyes bleed. Aidan Flint in particular 
it's not a role he's comfortable with. It's not a surprise. Alex Neal will know this. There's, there's nothing else he can do really at the moment. But Flint insists on passing it to the back foot of every player that he's passing it to, which means they have to take a second or two to control the ball and then move it forward before they can sort of progress it. And it's so tiring to watch. It's, it's There's no fluidity whatsoever. The front two were anonymous. Um, I felt pretty bad for Jacob Brown wearing the number nine out on the right wing as right wing back, um, having done nothing wrong as their actual striker. Um, but Reading were excellent. And this is my main point. They defended their box really, really well. Uh, the Hutchinson, Holmes, McIntyre back three, um, apart from that one set piece goal, which is kind of fair enough and, and a lucky deflection. But second half, they regathered one all at half time. You know, they did spend most of the game defending, but they did it really well. And when they did get possession in territory Reading, they used it really, really well, and way better than Stoke. They caused Stoke problems every time they moved the ball forward, basically. And it was pretty obvious what the plan was. And it was well thought up by Paul Ince and Alex Ray and well executed. They, they hit the space in the channels outside of Flint. Um, that was the kryptonite for Stoke and, and they exploited it. Fauna and Ince were there, the sort of outside central midfielders with Hendricks sitting. They were the ones who'd burst into that space every time and, and Stoke never had someone to track them. So they caused big problems. I thought Holmes and McIntyre, who played the outside centre-back roles, I think they did that really well. They both ad added value in possession, which is really what you want from those outside centre-backs and defended well alongside Hutchinson. So I was impressed. Reading attacked very smartly. Uh, and the second goal was a, a good example of that. Joao winning a flick on into that space out wide. Fauna galloping to collect it and then playing a great ball back into Joao, who won and then dispatched the penalty. Um, and, and they still had over 20 minutes to go, I think. They saw it out with complete comfort. So, um, yes, Stoke looked pretty desperate. And I can kind of understand why their fans are, are still kind of doom and gloom, despite the appointment of a manager that I rate very highly. But frankly, the better football was played by Reading, the better chances were Reading's the better defending was Reading's and it makes it four wins out of four at home. I'm very pleased I was able to see one of them. So there we go. Mm. Lucas Rao's 29th birthday party. That's the best thing from the championship in my eyes this week. Um, let's just talk Alex Neal moving from Sunderland to Stoke just as we were both flying abroad, George. So a bit delayed in our reaction, but I think it's worth touching on. Um, what was your initial reaction when the news was breaking and what's your measured reaction 10 days on? Always measured me. I thought it kind of stank of a bit of a power play to start with. Um, I think we saw Alex Neal get himself at least one new contract at Preston um, whilst being aggressively linked to a another management job. Um, whether that was the case and Sunderland called his bluff or if he genuinely um, wanted to move on, I'm not entirely sure. I would assume, I don't know the ins and outs <clears throat> at Stoke particularly well, but we do know that at Sunderland they have um, Christian Speakman, who is the the man in charge of all footballing matters. I, I would assume that Alex Neal is going to get more control at Stoke in terms of, of uh, recruitment and um, probably playing style and, and other things where at Sunderland, some of those decisions would have been taken out of his hands um, and he'll have more power, which which will come into it. I think from a purely um, potential point of view, I'm, I'm pretty surprised he's made the move. I think Sunderland um, have all of the foundations there to be uh, to return to, to former glories, you know, when you look at the, the passionate fan base who he had initially, uh, who weren't initially too happy to have him there, um, he obviously won them around very quickly, having taken what looked to be a season petering out and turning it into a promotion one at Wembley. Um, it's fair to say that he is not welcome to show his face in Sunderland anymore. Um, 
seeing yeah a, a fair bit of uh, anger on social media and, and bad Stoke rep- uh, results being celebrated by Sunderland fans, unsurprisingly. Um, I mean, it should be said as well, despite Stoke's recent struggles, there's no denying that the Coates family are, are very good owners to work for as well. You know, they generally give managers time. Um, there's no there's no issues there in terms of. Uh, uh, you know, finance and, and being able to to support a club to sustain a, a promotion bid, but something that seems to be pretty rotten at the club. You know, this isn't the first manager they've appointed who's got a good record. You know, Michael O'Neill is clearly the um, was the biggest wild card coming in from uh, a very big reputation as Northern Ireland manager. But when you've got Gary Rowett and you had Nathan Jones, you know, these are managers who you'd anticipate would would do pretty well when being supported by decent owners. So it's a risk in that sense. It feels like something's a bit a bit broken at Stoke. Uh, whatever that is, it doesn't really seem, in my view, to be to do with the manager because it doesn't matter who the manager is. They seem perpetually stuck in, in mid-table um, and things haven't started particularly well. Um, having spent a whole summer recruiting for the way that, that, that has been successful for Sunderland and, and playing for an Alex Neal team, it seems strange to me that he would go and take over a side who started poorly and as you mentioned, they're talking about Aidan Flint playing out from the back, who don't necessarily have the players suited to the way that he wants to play um, with, you know, another three months now until he's able to do anything about that. So all in all surprised. And as I say, it wouldn't surprise me if this was maybe a, a little bit of a power play gone wrong. Yeah, I see all of that. What you've said about recruitment in particular, it does seem to be an obvious reason for it. Like when you see the approach that Sunderland have taken this summer, which is an approach that excites me. They have bought a ton of players between the age of 18 and 23. It's an approach that massively intrigues me for a club of Sunderland size, who we have not seen many clubs of that size do or take this approach in the EFL. Normally they try and flex financial muscles and, uh, and, and sign sure things. And I just, I expect that that might not necessarily be exactly what Neil thought he'd bought into, but still a surprise. I was, Shocked at how poor Stoke were, but I'm not too worried long term. You say they're perpetually stuck in mid-table. That is the feeling that I get. And yet I'm I'm more than willing to nail my colours to the Alex Neal mast and say that won't be that forever with him in charge. Um, we've been here before with Stoke managers, but I do feel that way. And I also, you know, watching them yesterday, Suter is going to come back, hopefully sort of back where he was before from a long injury. And he could take that flint role and he'll make it look very different. Time and left wing back will make a big difference when he's back. Nick Powell came back and came off the bench will make a big impact, you'd think. And, you know, hopefully Sterling and or Clark can make the right wing back slot their own as well. So there will still be some square pegs in round holes for a few months at least, but probably less so than we saw yesterday long term. Uh, And then Sunderland, who are playing Borough tonight, so we can't speak about that game frustratingly. They've got Tony Mowbray in charge, George, and he won his first game 3-0. What do you make of... Sunderland replacing Alex Neal with Tony Mowbray. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's listened to this podcast for longer than uh, a couple of weeks will know that I'm a I'm a Tony Mowbray fan. Uh, sign me up to the to the membership. Um, I, I think he's done an underrated job. I, I think he continued to do a very good job at Blackburn. Um, just the way the results fell with um, with the the season being front loaded with with wins, and therefore um, kind of uh, consistently expectations being risen early in the campaign, and then an inability to. To force that home, it's, it's clearly an issue. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of um, much more learned uh, Blackburn followers than myself, you know, Andy Watson included, trying to make sense of the perpetual um, ability to to fall away from from Mowbray's Rovers. Um, but as I say, given their budget and what they had available to them, um, the positions that he was getting them into in the first place, uh, and also playing very very different styles of football, I, I cannot remember 
since we've been doing the podcast or really at all, any level of football, a the playing style changing so much without managerial personnel changing. Um, we had a season where Blackburn were the highest passers in the division, um, the biggest pressers in the division. And then we had a season, literally the next season, where they looked to play pretty direct and looked to retain the ball at all. Um, it might have something to do with Harvey Elliott being in their midfield for that <laughs> for that part for that passy season. But but either way, I think that shows big strength. I don't think it's a weakness at all. I don't think it shows a lack of playing style. I think it shows that Tony Mowbray is able to adapt and, and do what is needed with a group of players that he's given. And I assume that given the you know the, the technical strength of a lot of the Sunderland squad and the ability to you know with Sims and and Stuart form, form a pretty good partnership to start with. Um, I can't remember seeing a Mowbray Blackburn side play two up front, but I'm pretty sure that's what we're going to see here from from a Sunderland side. Um, you know, he's often I think lumped in because he was a, a bit of a clogger centre half, and he's you know pushing sixty. I think he's he's often perceived to be that kind of manager. Where I actually think he's a pretty um, you know he's a pretty insightful manager, someone who's 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 ready to adapt and gets the game pretty well. So I think it's it's an exciting appointment. There are definitely. I'm not sitting here whilst Blackburn fans are furiously hearing me praising him. There are, there are quite clearly issues as well. I'm not saying that there aren't at all. Um, but if you look where Blackburn are over as well when he when he took over and where he were where they were when he, when he left them, um, there is a a massive net positive there. And when you are replacing a manager like Alex Neil and you have and you don't have long to do it, and you're about to go into a period where you can't recruit, I think a, a very very safe pair of hands in Mowbray is a mm. is a pretty good way to go. Okay, let's change gears and start whizzing through some of the weekend results. A couple of interesting wider topics there to touch on. At Hull, nil, Sheffield United 2, first and foremost, our league leaders, the Blades, two wins in a week for them after thumping Reading in midweek. Uh, and Ollie McBurney went 43 games without a goal, now has three and three. Funny old game, is it not? Uh, I think the importance of goalkeeper performance was shown uh, in this game by the fact that McBurney's shot somehow crept inside Ingram's near post. It's the sort of shot from range that you would never expect it to actually end up in the net. Uh, and then Fodderingham, the opposite, a sensational double save at 1-0 as Estupinian streaked clear. And George, after Estupinian was on, was it seven goals after five games? And most of them were like ricochets that he glanced in from two yards. And I'm already building a picture of someone who maybe might prefer to have less time to think about his finishing than, <laughs> than streaking 50 yards before uh, his first effort there. But the winning goal from, not the winning goal, the, the second goal from Sander Berger, still a Sheffield United player, and we're delighted about that. There was uh, more rumours on deadline day that he might move to Belgium. They didn't come through at Sheffield United protecting their player, realising that he's going to be very difficult to replace at this time, and he's got them in a pretty good spot right now. And Heckingbottom should take a lot of credit because Berger, for at least a year, maybe 18 months as a Sheffield United player, didn't fit. It did not look right. Something wasn't quite there. Everyone understood what this guy could and should be. You know, he's the classic sort of old school um, baseball scout style. Like he's got an unbelievable body. He can carry it like he's a smart player. He looks after the ball well. And yet in a defensive midfield role, it wasn't working at all. Um, he's found this role as like a sort of, very attack-minded, right-sided midfielder in this three-five-two, and um, he's he's absolutely thriving. And his goal here was testament to that, albeit with a little deflection. So Heckingbottom deserves credit for that, for getting that that role right and turning someone who was almost a bit of a millstone around the necks of Sheffield United with his transfer fee into completely the opposite of that, and now a huge asset for them. And Hecky should get credit for his management of this team, this table-topping team as well. 
You know, I considered this job this season a very different one to last season when he came in with the team at a very low ebb, but with a ton of potential. I think this was a harder uh, season in many ways to keep it going and, and maybe try and go one better. And so far, he's passing the test with flying colours. Such calm management of the club. Um, and and to an extent that it makes it makes it difficult for me to imagine anything massively throwing them off course at this point. They feel to me like a bit of a tanker just moving forward. Um, so I'm really enjoying every everything about the way Hecky is managing Sheffield United at the moment and, and really no bones to pick with them. McBurney's return to form helps, of course. Uh, and I guess there's every chance that one or both of Brewster and Sharp at some point this season will get fit and firing as well. So um, that will be exciting, even more exciting. As for Hull, back-to-back defeats this week. Um, we thought they'd be fun and unpredictable, George, at the start of the season. That's definitely proving to be the case with Hull. Um, there's not a huge amount of rhyme or reason at the moment in their performances or inconsistency of performances and in the results that follow. There have been games they've played quite poorly and won and, and vice versa. They have signed so many players. It's absolutely insane. They've now got, by my count, looking at transfer marked, over 30 senior pros, Hull, uh, which includes so many different little pockets of recruitment. They've got three 18, 19 year old loanees from Chelsea and Arsenal. And Nathan Baxter as well makes it three loanees from Chelsea. The six signings from the Turkish leagues. Uh, add to that, Seri and Estupinian, maybe the biggest names of the lot. And then also like championship stalwart types like, like Cyrus Christie and Ryan Woods. And I guess to a lesser extent, Figueredo. And all the while, they're eight games in. They've got Callum Elder and Louis Coyle starting at wing back, Alfie Jones at centre back, and Regan Slater has started every game in midfield. Now, I bring those names up not to knock those players, but just to to show my confusion. It's 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 all a bit weird. Um, it's a lot of money being spent, that's for sure. Um, as much as I find the individuals exciting, overall it makes me a bit nervous, and I'm not really sure um, what to expect over the next few weeks and months. I, I think the the team in a month's time is going to look very different to how it looks now. Uh, you know, you mentioned the deadline day signings there. That there's no way the two Chelsea lads uh, are going to are going to Hull to, to sit on the bench um, until January. You know, they will be, uh, I'm sure, um, expecting a fair bit of, of first-team football. I think Seri's return from injury coming off the bench um, for the last 20 minutes uh, on Sunday is a, is a massive deal. I think a lot of their good performance early in the campaign were thanks to his control he could have in midfield. I think Tufan returning and playing at 10 is also a, a, a big moment for them as well. I, I thought I'd been getting pretty concerned about Hull over the last couple of weeks. Truth be told, I mean, I know that we've seen um, them, um, you know, the, the win over Coventry was was a decent one, but I think the performances against West Brom and QPR were, were, were really quite bad, especially defensively. Um, but I thought they were better yesterday. Um, you know, you look at both the, both the Blades goals um, were aided by, um, you know, basically by deflections mm. um, and and similarly uh, two massive chances missed from, as you mentioned, it's Dupinian and Tufan. It kind of felt like even though Sheffield United controlled the game uh, away from both boxes, I think actually when it came down to the chances created by either side, you could almost argue that Hull had the better chances of the of, of the big ones. And it was it was Blades who converted theirs, albeit fairly fortuitously. That's by no means having a go at Sheffield United, who I think are, are rightful. I think they might be favourites now to win the league with, with Norwich, and, and, and rightly so. Um, but just in terms of Hull's performance level, I think those players coming back and then the additions that you mentioned soon to come in, um, I think we will see if it's players, you know, you listed some of the players there who you're surprised they're playing. It wouldn't surprise me if they, if they don't play that many more minutes. George Norwich beat Coventry 3-0 and just like that, they've won five in a row 
and canary confidence is flowing. It, it all seems very Norwich in the championship at the moment. Very easy, isn't it? Um, yeah, they were uh, interesting to see them being able to bring Tame Puki back into the fold and, and without really uh, sacrificing anything. Uh, Puki finally getting his first goal of the season. Uh, Marcelino Nunez with a very good assist and a smart finish from Puki. Um, Josh Sargent going back to the role where we saw him uh, play so poorly for the majority of his Norwich um, career so far on the right-hand side of the three and behind Puki, but, but he was absolutely superb. Um, on the day again, a really nice finish and then a, a very selfless bit of play and actually a very good ball, I thought. Um, he kind of nearly got the ball tangled in his feet but managed to get it out of his feet and they had off to Dow to make the game safe. Um, it was very dominant. It was very easy for them, uh, I would say, on the day and uh, a, a sticky, tricky start to the season um, for them is long forgotten now. And, you know, I think at the beginning of the season we said, well, there isn't really a Norwich this season. Maybe the Norwich this season is just Norwich. Um, we're going to find out uh, fairly soon with the games they've got coming up and for Coventry you've got to be pretty concerned now um, in all competitions that is five defeats on the bounce um, their, their point on opening day at Sunderland um, where it was a, a very late goal got them that point in a game they were probably second best in is the only point they've got so far um, we know that they've only played away games for the most part um, until the, the game against Preston that they lost because of the, the pitch issue um, it feels to me like the impact of that is going to be massive because it's much harder to to chase teams down, um, you know, points on the board, yes, is important, but it's, it's more a case of, of, you know, starting the season where they are now and uh, going into games at home under pressure um, is going to make it difficult for them. They need to improve pretty quickly. Otherwise, um, it's going to be after such a, you know, year on year improvement under Mark Robbins, um, it's going to be hard for them to to get themselves, you know, e- even looking at the table now out of the, the, the position they're in uh, to take the pressure off their backs. I think you'll enjoy... Mark Robbins coining a phrase which kind of makes sense. And it's a, it's an adaptation of a phrase that you like to use, which is a, a false position. And Mark Robbins said that, you know, because of this strange situation where they've only played five, they got one point from it, but they've had four away games and only one at home. He said it creates a false pressure, but a pressure nonetheless. So he's kind of recognising why it might be, um, you know, why the situation that they've been put in through no fault of their own might make things look worse than they do but he still admits that it is a pressure. And, you know, looking back at their five league games, I would say they've been second best pretty definitively in all five, which is something of a concern. Uh, yeah. Blackburn two, Bristol City three. George, I felt in our one to 24s, like of all the, the three leagues, maybe with Crawley, Bristol City were the team that we had the biggest example of us having like quite a good feeling about, but it was quite hard to quantify and it was quite hard to explain. And it was a bit like, if Pearson can sort the defence out, they could be really fun. But something feels like it's happening at Bristol City and 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 it's quite exciting. Yeah, I mean, I think they're my biggest stance at the moment um, in the Championship is that Bristol City are really good. And given the the, the strength of the league or, or maybe the lack of it, uh, I see no reason. You know, there, there have been other seasons where you, know, you look at like a Huddersfield and a Luton last season. I know they got into the playoffs, but you always kind of knew that there was going to be one or two too good. Um, with Bristol City, I don't see any reason why, if they were to to, to maintain this level of form, they can't be challengers right at the very top. It doesn't mean I think they're going to be, but I don't think there is necessarily a, a team that is that much of a class apart. I, I think we can say pretty safely that unless things change, Watford aren't that. Um, Norwich, I, I think maybe could be. I think Burnley, if they can work out a way to, to win games consistently and to hold on to leads, maybe could be. Baggies and Blades look look pretty good, but I think in seasons gone by, they wouldn't have been 
challenging the top end. But then you've got Bristol City who score in every game, which which helps, um, who have so many options up front that they seemingly have, um, you know, that they, they're always going to have a player who's being left out. And that doesn't count Chris Martin, who was a big part of the side last season as well in, in Wales, Conway, Vyman and Semenyo. Um, their ability to create chances means they're getting the best out of those players as well. And then defensively, you know, they're still conceding goals. I mean, they conceded three against Blackpool the other day and two against Blackburn, but it doesn't feel quite as bad. And when you're looking at kind of the XG side of things, their XG against isn't one of the one of the worst in the division, which is what we're used to seeing under 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 Pearson at Bristol City. So it's not exactly shut down defending, though, is it? I mean, Rovers had no two good looks at, at nil nil, and then obviously the two goals. So there's still improvement to be made on that front. And I, I was surprised. I guess if I was being really greedy, I would have liked to have seen a real sort of sure thing centre-back signed, a, a right footer to to play in that back three with Atkinson and, and Naismith. But for the moment, it's going to be Viner. Um, and their goals are so exciting. I just love mm. how they attack. You know, the first goal, Scott, Viman, Conway. The second goal, Scott, Viman, Wells. Uh, yeah. Nicky, Nicky only started seven games last season. He's already started five this season and he's outscored last season's total. So it's good management of the players at the club rather than just having to to go and buy loads. It's exciting. It's uh, it's a lot better than last season, that's for sure. Going forward, <laughs> as you say, as good as anyone at the level so far this season. Uh, Luton 1, Wigan 2 was a surprise result based on you know what you'd have guessed pre-game and certainly a surprise result based on what you'd have guessed at half-time because not quite a game of two halves as much as like one 60-minute chunk where Luton were dominating, were a goal ahead at home and looking fairly cosy. Um, being frustrated by some good saves from Amos. And then that special something that Liam Richardson and Wigan have, they just they just got a scent of something with half an hour to go. Triple sub was made, Asgard, the youngster, Broadhead uh, and Shinny as, as well came on for McGinnis, Naylor and Carr. And they just, the, you know, the whole vibe changed and they, they ended up turning it around and getting the win. Lock your own goal. And what a winner from young Tello Asgard. Um, I think I mentioned him on the 1-24s because I'm trying to mention him a lot at the moment. We don't, we don't see a lot of Asgard playing first team minutes in the league for Wigan, but mm. someone significant told me a few months ago, someone who knows told me that he is different gravy, like properly, properly good. And I was a bit, I felt a bit like, well, if he was that good, you know, he'd be undeniable. Richardson would be playing him all the time. And I wasn't sure if that was necessarily going to be the case, but if he can keep scoring winning goals like that, then he absolutely will see more game time. And a nice note from Richard, who's a Wigan fan on NTT 20 squad, um, making the point that Lang to Asgard was a, a goal made in the Wigan Academy. And it was a day in which Kyle Joseph scored for Oxford and Jensen Weir for Morecambe as well. Two young academy players for, for, for Wigan over the last few years too. So good day for Wigan. Good day for those who work in the academy. Next up, another away win. Another surprise away win. In a sense, George Birmingham going to Preston North End and winning 1-0. Preston's clean sheet record is over. Their binary season continues. Uh, Blue's good for it here. Yeah, they were. It was, it was a poor performance from Preston. I think being 1-0 down after after 15 minutes at uh, home to a side who've been struggling, such as Birmingham, especially because, you know, even though they haven't scored many goals, they've been able to create chances this season. I think anyone would have expected them to, to ask way more questions than they did. Um, you know, Troy Parrott had the ball in the back of the net with a decent finish that was ruled out. Um, and then they really kind of struggled to, to break Birmingham down. 
Um, I'm just completely baffled by Preston. Uh, I'm, you know, for those listeners to the betting show, they'll be relieved to hear that I'm just going to completely ignore that Preston exists for the next few weeks um, because the anomalous run that we're seeing them on in terms of, of goals conceded and scored is just so weird. Um, as I say, uh, for those who don't listen to the betting show, um, the kind of expected goals values for both of them going forward and, and defensively are like very average. If anything, um, you know, that they're, they're a fairly good efficient side at creating chances yet yeah, uh, that has not been borne out in terms of, of their goals uh, they, the games this season uh, eight games five nil nil draws three one nil results uh, two for them one against them it is one of the weirdest quirks I've ever seen from a season uh, I am convinced at some point it's uh, it's going to start just explode at Deepdale but I'm, I'm not going to be there to, to witness it or have my money riding on it I can promise that because it's just becoming quite expensive um, but we know that Ryan Lowe's uh, you know, a, a manager whose team's generally um, have pretty high scoring games um, and he will be very disappointed. That's that's two games now against poorer sides. Uh, there was the, the Cardiff game um, last weekend where it was a nil-nil draw and they, they really struggled to break Cardiff down and then um, and then a one-nil result. I, I do wonder if maybe the lack of goals um, has had now a kind of tangible effect on the, the ability to create those chances um, rather than finish them because their output does seem to be to be dropping pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, if you're, if you're not going to score any goals, then you know, it's the first goal they've conceded, but it's their first defeat because you need to be able to um, to get the ball in the back of the net in order to, to pick up wins. Guess who's excited about Christian Bielik starting championship games? Uh, you. It's me, yeah. Uh, and making an impact here. I've seen Birmingham fans on Twitter and on the squad saying, isn't it nice to have someone like him at the base of our midfield who can mix it, but who can play as well? And that is why I've always loved him so much. Alongside him in midfield, or part of that midfield anyway, was Tahith Chong, who Blue signed mm. to a five-year contract on deadline day. It's an absolutely, to my eyes, sensational piece of recruitment. And I mean sensational because I cannot believe it. I, I assumed it was going to be another loan. Uh, the fact it's a five-year deal, Chong committing himself to Birmingham City in the state that they're in off the pitch is surprising and it's such good news for them it's it's I, I feel so good about it because I really really rate him so I, I barring injury or disaster I can't see any way that this wouldn't be a marvelous piece of recruitment so given that's not necessarily been what we've expected from Birmingham over the last five years uh, I'm really delighted about it so good to see Bielik and Chong straight in making a big difference here at Colan and Graham the wingbacks combined for the goal uh, probably the star men as well for Birmingham Swansea won QPR nil this was a big win for Swans it, it ended a, a pretty miserable four game stretch in which they had lost to Luton and Borough and thrown away leads against Stoke and Millwall conceded late goals there as well this was better much better much more com comfortable seeing out the win clean sheet key for Swans and created quite a lot of good shooting opportunities as well. Most notable, a switch of system recently for, for Russell Martin. He's not playing that 3-4-2-1. Uh, it's a 4-2-3-1 of sorts, or at least it was here with uh, Sorinola and Patterson, the wide attackers. Ollie Cooper playing just off Perot, the striker. Uh, Allen and Grimes, the double pivot. And then a back four of Norton, Wood, Cabango and Ryan Manning. Uh, Ollie Cooper, big positive here. Loved him last season at Newport and, and definitely felt his his profile of player would fit quite well in this Swansea team uh, albeit with a you know a leap of two leagues he's such a high energy player he's a he's a pressing machine and creates chances as well uh, and he did all of that today uh, today on Saturday uh, setting up Piro for the goal great to see I'm sure he'll get more opportunities if he continues to play like that work for you statistical quirk I know you like those um, mm -hmm. Swansea 
Yeah. Uh, we, we know Swansea, Russell Martin, Swansea, uh, very possession heavy, love to pass the ball, pass teams to death. Mm. 2-0 loss against Luton um, back on the 20th of August. They enjoyed 75% possession in that game. They then went to Middlesbrough um, and, uh, and again, they lost 2-1. They had 61% possession away from home at Borough. Bit of a tw- bit of a tweak he's made. Bit of a tweak, Old Russell. Four points for the last two games. They go to Stoke. You'd have seen yesterday, obviously, Stoke trying to play football a little bit more. However, they only had 51% of the percent, uh, possession in the game. Obviously, ahead early on, which does make a difference. And then at home to QPR, yes, they went ahead after 20 minutes. But QPR had more of the ball. 54% mm. possession for QPR, 40% possession for Swansea. Now, obviously, game state plays a part in this. Obviously, they were ahead in both games. But I do wonder if maybe, and we've said it before, I do wonder if we're seeing Russell Martin maybe understanding that there has to be an element of horses for courses uh, and he cannot go and look to just dominate possession continually. Uh, and maybe there a reaction from those two defeats where they had all the ball um, might have been seen here. Um, another quick thing to mention is that we have made a big deal about um, making sure that people get Mick Beale's name right. Mm. And I think Mick has to afford the same um, courtesy to other opposition players because his pronunciation of opposition players, you sent me a video last week. I'm going to have to run in the clip because it's going to work so much better than you reading it out. They're dangerous. They've got good players. Pyro, Obafemi, Ninchan, Grimes, the captain. Obviously, Ryan Manning, who we know here. New right wing back, Sinisaloa. New right wing back, Sinisaloa. 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 He also did it again. Uh, I think he called Kavango Kabongo uh, in the post-match as well. So I think, Mick, we've, we've done you a favour. It's time. You, you just, just say it as you see it. Let's not try and guess their names. Uh, Swans fans really pleased to have kept Pirot and Obafemi uh, amid interest on Thursday. And I somewhat unwittingly found myself playing a role of, the, of a detective on Saturday when it comes to Michael Obafemi. And... Um, I was pleased to see some quotes from Russell Martin post-game that make me realise that this isn't a problem. Otherwise, I would have had to wonder whether it was worth me being a bit of a grass about it. But I turn up at Sutton against Harrogate on Saturday. I'm a couple of minutes late because I've, I've, not, I've not planned my parking well at all. I turn up at the turnstile. The game's already going on. And the guy in front of me in the turnstiles, he's a bit hesitant. So I'm kind of like, come on, mate, let's crack on. We're late. And he finally goes in and I think to myself, I recognise that human being and I think it's Swansea City striker Michael Obafemi. But then it can't be because Swansea are currently playing a game, a match against QPR and he is a, uh, an employee of Swansea City. Anyway, it was Michael Obafemi. Um, I, I backed myself. I was right. He was at the same game as me on Saturday, not at Swansea QPR. He was at Sutton against Harrogate. Uh, he was in the away end as well. Uh, which was great. There were only 69 Harrogate fans at Sutton and there was Michael Obafemi in amongst him. Just a huge Harrogate fan, which a lot of people won't know. Um, Is that actually right? No, that's no. not right. No, I thought um, maybe he thought that it was Swansea were playing away at QPR. <laughs> so he went to West London and was like, oh no! <laughs> Might as well catch a game anyway. No, um, yeah. my best bet, I do not know this for sure, but uh, my most educated guess is he was there to watch Harrogate's right back, Kane Ramsey, who I reckon he's quite good mates with from the Southampton Academy system um, nice. so, so there you go 
Russell Martin after the game was obviously asked why Michael Obafemi was not in the squad. No one at that point knew what I knew that he was in uh, South London. Uh, and he said, we had a chat after deadline day and both decided it was best for him to have the weekend off and that he couldn't contribute in a way that he should have. I'm a young manager and have to learn a lot. I shouldn't have brought him on Wednesday with what was going on. I made the wrong call, but I feel like we made the right call today. And Michael agreed. He'll come back in on Monday. We'll have a really good chat and we'll make sure he's in the right frame of mind to contribute. His head has been filled with all sorts of nonsense since we first came back in. So his energy has been a bit different. We need to get back to the Michael Obafemi we had from December onwards. And I'm sure we will. So there you go. There's no story here other than a fun story. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, lastly, George, can you tell me a little bit about Millwall 2, Cardiff nil? I mean, what's to say, really? It was a classic Millwall set piece home win. Um, Cardiff, again, really struggling to create chances on the road. Charlie Cresswell um, getting his uh, his third goal of the season after the brace on opening day. Um, and then getting it. Actually, I just, I've only just seen that he came off the bench to do all this, which is quite fun. Cresswell <laughs> off the bench um, to score the, the first goal. Um, coming on just after halftime for Sean Hutchison and then uh, Benick Ferber making the game safe. Big deal, I think, for Millwall for Benick to get off the mark this season. Um, it's not been a case of him not getting chances. He's been, um, I think I looked on Saturday and he was kind of the biggest outlier in terms of a player XG being high, but yet not having scored yet. So it was only a matter of time and he's up and away. And I think for Millwall, it's been after a very good opening day. Um, it hasn't been great. That was three defeats in the balance coming into this game. Um, they are they rank second highest on Opta's expected goals against, which is not something you'd expect from either, from open play, that is. Uh, not something you'd expect from either a Gary Rowett side or a, a Millwall side. Um, so a, a kind of a big home win um, just to, to ease any nerves that, that may have crept in. Um, but uh, Jan Cardiff, as I say, struggling a little bit to uh, to piece it all together on the road. Two defeats in a week for Cardiff. Uh, just quite cool to see Millwall just taking on a slightly different skin. Like they must have had the the smallest turnover of players of any championship side over the last four or five years. But here we've got a Millwall side with Callum Styles playing left wing back with Vogel Schlammer and uh, and Fleming playing up front as well. So yeah, I'm pretty up for it. Uh, elsewhere in the championship, Rotherham won, Watford won and West Brom won, Burnley won. I feel bad about this. They were both good games. They're both interesting games, but we've hit a point where we have to move on to League One. So there will be no depth on those games this week, sadly. I'm sorry for that. But as you know, if you keep listening to the pod, over time, it all evens itself out unless your team draws the majority of their games, which no team does. Uh, in League One, George, there are a lot of significant fixtures between clubs aiming for top six and others looking to avoid the bottom four. So it was an interesting weekend. I'd like to start with good cop, please. And I'd like to start at Cambridge United. And it's not for their football but it could be. It's because Cambridge United have bought back their stadium, the Abbey. They sold it in 2004 when the club was in financial difficulty, but they managed to coax further equity investment by the existing owners of £4.5 million, the majority of which has been used to fund the purchase and meet associated costs and expenses. Uh, it's huge news. You've had the shot. Now for the chaser, the purchase, George, includes the Abbey Stadium footprint, the current thrifty car hire, hire site at the front of the ground, Ooh. together with the bungalow on the front right. That so it's, it's not nice. just a football ground that Cambridge United now own. It's it's a, it's a sort of, it's a network. Mm. It's a bungalow. It's a thrifty. It's a football stadium. They can do a lot with it. Um, and it's obviously, on a serious note, massive news for any football club who should all own their own stadia. Um, massive news, particularly when it's been 
taken out of their hands for, for reasons in 2004 that, that were necessary at the time. Um, and I, I wonder what percentage of clubs in the EFL at the 72 fully own their stadium with no question marks, with no weird little extra umbrella companies involved to help with whatever tax or FFP, just total ownership of the stadium by the football club. I wonder if anyone listening has the time to do that research for us. Please <laughs> let us know. We will make sure that you get your credit. Um, either way, it's huge. Cambridge United fans must be pinching themselves at the moment. Um, good things off the pitch, good things on the pitch, good owners, good people running the club, uh, amazing manager and players to be proud of as well. Uh, two nil winners against Lincoln. Very, very comfy to continue their excellent start. Four wins from four at home. Their home, the Abbey, the home that they own now. Um, I said on the betting show that my main takeaway so far is, is how much I think they've jumped up a level going forward, Cambridge. Um, that front four of Ironside um, as the target man with Smith on the right and Tracy off the left and Nibs in a kind of fluid 10 role where he generally skews left and causes problems and overloads out there. Just watch their second goal. That is Cambridge United 22-23 personified. Tracy carries it and fizzes a ball into Smith. He then plays the ball through to Nibs who cuts it back for Ironside to tap in. It was lovely. I loved it. Do you want to be the bad cop in League One? There's not going to be a bad cop in League One. Um, there is only going to be two good cops. There are only going to be two good cops because there is a story in League One, and I'm sure most people know what this is, that I think transcends football and reminds us all how it can be such a force for good. And that has to be the return of Jay Stansfield to Exeter to take on the number nine shirt that belonged to his father, Adam Stansfield, who sadly died age 31. Now, I, like lots of people listening to this, remember Adam Stansfield, I remember Adam Stansfield being a nuisance up front for Exeter against Oxford in two playoff semi-finals uh, in, in the in the conference, uh, and I remember when Adam Stansfield died, um, and it was pretty shocking uh, for all football fans. Um, as a 31-year-old man myself now, I can't believe that he was that young. It is quite clearly absolutely no age at all to pass. Um, I still feel like a very big child, age 31. So it is absolutely heartbreaking and. You know, again, his memory and Adam Sansford himself mean an incredible amount, not just to, to Exeter City and their fans, but also to a lot of people who would have played with him and, and his other clubs at the time as well. So for Jay Stansfield, who, you know, is his son, who came through the Youth Academy at Exeter, who got a big move to Fulham back in 2019 and who we've seen looking very lively for Fulham in the last couple of seasons, including a couple of games in the Premier League earlier on this campaign. It seems like on a footballing level, there would have been the opportunity for, for him to move to the Championship in terms of this first loan. But for him to go to the club where his dad was such a legend, the number nine shirt, of course, retired uh, when his dad passed away, being brought out of retirement for Jay to wear during his loan spell as well. He came off the bench to a huge reception. You know, it's just one of those things and one of those stories where it is so important. And I'm, I'm sure for Jay, who would have had to go through so much as a kid, uh, to be able to follow in his dad's footsteps will mean an incredible amount. Anyone who's, who's a football fan will have their own stories about, about key players who they lost. You know, for, for Oxford fans very recently, including myself, the, the loss of Joey Beecham um, last, last season, uh, back in, I think it was March, was very hard to get over. Uh, and hopefully for, for a lot of Exeter fans who've had a bit of a, a deep wound um, over the last 
kind of decade, couple of decades over the, the death of, of, um, of Adam Stansfield, mm. being able to watch his son turn out in a Stansfield nine shirt and hopefully scoring loads of goals. You know, I cannot imagine there will be a more popular goal scorer consistently this season as when he, as when he scores. So delighted to see him make his debut and, and really, really excited. Uh, I think most EFL fans out there have maybe got a little bit of a, uh, a vested interest in, in Exeter for the rest of the season. Yeah, basically got goosebumps throughout that Um think you should be a good cop more often to be honest uh it's 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 incredible I, I echo everything that you said i guess the only added insight if you can call it that that i can give here is as someone who also lost a parent very young uh, very similar age to to when jay lost his dad and also as someone who's who's lost a father as someone obsessed with football and the stories that it chucks up just selfishly for a second trying to draw a parallel with my life and, and understanding that as someone who very openly for anyone who asks me what my motivations are one of the strongest ones is is basically to do my dad proud and to represent him as best i can and to sort of continue the legacy that he had in his life uh, for for stansfield to be wearing the number 9 shirt at exeter which his dad wore is uh, i can't think probably of a more apt representation a perfect representation of that sort of desire to to fulfill a legacy so i uh, i don't want to go too much further with that but um it's amazing to see we're so so happy it's it's an incredible thing and we're so yeah privileged to, to be covering it uh they got a good win against mk they were good for it as well uh, goal from a set piece another extra academy graduate this time the centre-back diabate scoring from a set piece but they were the better side throughout the game there's no doubt about that and uh they continue their strong start to the season <clears throat> george why don't you tell me about derby 2 plymouth Argyle 3 oh baby um you said on the betting show I don't think the world have woken up to exactly how good Plymouth Argyle have been this season. And then you look quite stupid and then you look quite clever. <laughs> yeah, I'm still not sure they that they have. I mean, I was just looking this morning at the um, at the, the betting odds for League One and, um, you know, looking at our sponsors, the Betfair Sportsbook. If you're looking at League One winner, you've got um, Ipswich, heavy favourites now at eight to five. Sheffield Wednesday, Mars Clear, second favourite, seven to two. And then Portsmouth, Derby, Peterborough, all priced up a lot shorter than Plymouth, who are still there at 16 to 1. And they're currently third in the table. They've won five of their seven games. One of those games that they didn't win, they were down to 10 men fairly early on in it. I mean, they were good for the best part of last season. I'm not entirely sure that um, there's any reason why Plymouth Argyle shouldn't be third favourites for the for the title from what we've seen so far, especially with them going to, to Derby and doing a job on them 3-2 despite being 3-2, sorry, despite being 2-0 down. Um you say I looked a bit clever, having looked a bit stupid. Um, you know, cards on the table and all that. I messaged you saying, "What are they doing? Bringing Sam Cosgrove in uh, during deadline day, <laughs> a player who, um, since his move to uh, Birmingham from uh, Aberdeen, has really failed to show a great deal. Um, you know, he didn't have a very good loan spell at the back end of last season at AFC Wimbledon. Um, he had a, a couple of loan spells at, at Shrewsbury, where he, he failed to really get himself." Um, regularly in the first team let alone scoring regularly but we know that Plymouth Argyle's recruitment is very very good you know they loaned they loaned out Luke Jeffcott to Swindon um I think if you're going to pick holes in in the decision making at Plymouth Argyle over the last couple of seasons I mean I have to say that the bids are only rumours there's nothing to suggest that they definitely did but rumoured bids for for Jeffcott were seemingly turned down 18 months ago for, for good money and you'd think they probably now wish they'd cashed in on a player who went on a on a big scoring spree, scoring spree. Uh, but apart from that you know they brought in Cosgrove he's come off the bench and he's 
done the two best things I've ever seen him do in football uh, straight away in an Argyle shirt. The pace that he showed, you know, I've, mm. I've, if I, hands up, I've, I've thought of him as being a target man, not particularly mobile, um, but showed a real turn of pace and, and two brilliant finishes to win the game. Um, it's yeah, what and, and teams I'm, do. This is what they do. I but think this is, you know, if there was another good cop, I think it would, any normal week, I think I think Cosgrove is getting a good cop. Um, I should be getting the bad cop for, for doubting him. <laughs> it's, uh, only yeah, uh, it's only bronze for him. That's a Yeah, question. exactly. Um, but yeah, a, a huge result. And, and again, I think Argyle showing, you know, a derby have been won every game at home this season so far. Although, as I said, they haven't really been particularly dominant in those games. Um, for Argyle to go there and, and turn it around the way that they did is, uh, is mightily impressive. I noticed you didn't share what I said in response to your message about Sam Grosgrove, Cosgrove's uh, signing right, for I knew, I, knew that, I knew that you would. Okay. Well, I said, I reckon, A, just trying to get a profile that they don't already have outside of Hardy, Ennis and Whitaker, and B, they'll probably think that maybe he's just had some quite bad situations, i.e. Birmingham City, where he signed, they've been a basket case, he hasn't had consistent starts. Shrewsbury, a team that score very few goals, create very few goals opportunities mm. for their strikers. Wimbledon, who he joined and they didn't win a game for 23 games. You might say a portion of that might have been down to Cosgrove's performances, but not a large portion, you have to say. Um, and I reckon there's a part of, of Argyle that thought we could probably get more out of, of him because we're legends and we know what we're doing. They'll also will have seen 28 goals across two seasons in the Scottish Prem in a team that was playing well and creating chances in Aberdeen. And and they'll have thought, you know, if we get this right, we can go, ha, 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 look how clever we are. And I think they're probably thinking that already. I, and yeah. just to point out, you know, your message to me, and it now sounds like I'm putting you on flames, which I don't mean to do. Your message to me was a private message. It was asking a question. It's probably fair. The response to his signing on social media made me really uneasy and quite unhappy. Um, if someone messages you, to say, we've just signed Sam Cosgrove. I saw he played for you before. What was he like? Then sure, be honest. If you thought he was really bad, be honest. Um, there's nothing harsh or wrong about that. The way in which I saw fans of various clubs going out of their way to say things like, worst player I've ever seen. Um, Apologies in advance, he'll ruin your team. And other snidey type phrases. Just a huge no from me. And why that brace is one of my favorite things that will happen this season in football this is a club that have barely made a mistake in the transfer market for about five windows now you think that they're going to sign a third or fourth choice striker um the sort of profile they don't have and he's going to somehow ruin things well you're an idiot so i hope everyone who said stuff like that feels like an idiot and maybe i'll look like <laughs> an idiot if he doesn't score any more goals and plymouth get relegated unlikely i think um a couple of big games couple of big results George Portsmouth 2, Peterborough 1. Big game, big result. In particular, coming back from behind after a big error from Morrison. Uh, let Clark Harris set up Marriott for, for an opening goal for Peterborough. From that point, I thought Portsmouth managed it really well, stayed pretty calm, and it was time for the comeback. So, um, quick game of Cluedo. Who done it? It was Scarlett with his head and his left foot inside Jesus. the penalty box. There you go. Um Two great goals, one thumping header, one brilliant left-footed finish into the near post. What else did I like? When you see big Clark Robertson, nominally a centre-back, he's playing at left-back, you think, that's a bit grim in some ways. Pompey probably not going to get much in terms of delivery from the left side. False. What a cross for Scarlett's first goal. Um, Scarlett the starlet finishing well. And I'm just feeling really good about Pompey at the moment. I mean, obviously they've won five in a row. It's hard to pick too many holes in it. They've deserved, I think, all five of them. 
and they saw this out with only one or two hairy moments, which is kind of to be expected when you're up against the quality that Peterborough have. So in general, looking really strong defensively, the Cowleys have, have got that shape and structure that we recognise from previous Cowley teams. And then going forward, here are their striker slash wide options. Colby Bishop, Scarlett, Piggott, Curtis, Dale, Karoma, Hackett Fairchild. Just tons of options for Cowley. And there's no reason why they shouldn't score plenty. So Pompey on the march, five wins in a row. Another big win in a big game. How about Sheffield Wednesday nil, Barnsley two? Yeah, I didn't see this coming at all. It felt like Sheffield Wednesday had after... You know, a, a, not a poor start to the season, but after a, a bit of a um, slow start, despite picking up some decent form, uh, decent results, it felt like the 2-0 win at Bolton, followed by the 5-0 jobbing of Forest Green, um, really announced them onto the, you know, into, into this uh, this League One season. Uh, and Barnsley, you know, taking time to to come to the um, you know, themselves after the relegation, they, they don't look like one of those sides to me at this stage who are likely to... Um, basically be a championship side in League One after relegation. Um, we often see teams get promoted immediately afterwards. And I think for if Michael Duff were able to achieve that with Barnsley, it would be a hell of a job from what we've seen so far. Um, but yeah, Wednesday were, were fairly poor. Um, key men didn't turn up. Lee Gregory and and, uh, and Josh Wendas both missing decent opportunities to put them ahead. Um, and Barnsley were able to create a fair few chances. You know, Devante Cole with a well-taken first. Um, Norwood getting his uh, his first goal. Uh, for the club uh, as well is a big moment. You know, I know the Barnsley fans feel like they don't have enough in the way of of, of strikers, but I do think Norwood should be someone who wants to fit. Um, it will be a big player for them. And Jack Aitchison might, might not be the biggest goal threat, but he's certainly a very clever player um, for a, a goal-scoring striker to play alongside. Uh, interesting to know that Alex Mighton uh, came in on loan to um, Sheffield Wednesday on deadline day. He's someone who we saw in flashes, certainly for Forrest, uh, could be very good Um but kind of found his way. I mean, especially with Nottingham Forest bringing in 733 players over the, the window. Uh, Mighton's route to the first team was always going to be, um, you know, there are probably about five players now ahead of him. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty surprised he didn't get a, a, a championship loan, given that he's looked pretty good at championship level before he came off the bench and, and failed to make an impact. But he's certainly someone I'm looking forward to seeing what he does at Wednesday um, for the rest of the season. So no cause for massive alarm. You know, teams, good teams lose games. Um, but I was surprised that this was one that Wednesday were, weren't able to at least get something from. I think just a big one for the Barnsley fans here. The three points, when you weigh it up, arguably less important than the kind of less tangible stuff, which is a sense of pride in their team for the first time in over a year, in a performance and in, and notably in a manager. Um, 13 years without winning at Hillsborough in front of fans. They did win the game uh, behind closed doors there, but they just looked sharp and focused, didn't they? They had the better chances and they took them. And for, for Duff and Barnsley fans' relationship, I just think it's perfect that they'll start to see what makes him excellent. His authority is stamped on the team um, and he's just speaking so well at the moment, somehow not moaning about some big to my eyes, weaknesses in the squad that weren't replaced in the transfer window and just getting on with the job. Uh, Bolton 3, Charlton 1 was another uh, big game. Uh, well, first off, we saw that Raksaki of Charlton is a certified baller, uh, has already in just a few weeks become Charlton's best player, their most important player. 
an absolute problem for League One defenders because he can go both ways. He's scoring goals, creating chances. It looks like an incredible loan signing already. He set up Fraser for the opener early on. Absolutely no question who the better side was after that, though. Bolton um, asserting their dominance completely, staying composed when behind uh, and eventually just just finding the gaps. A lot of space out wide. And the good news is uh, Bolton have a right wing back in Connor Bradley, another uh, early season sensational loanee uh, on loan from Liverpool, continuing his excellent season. When he's got space in the final third, he is setting up goals as he did. He is scoring goals as he did. Um, Kieran Lee scoring the most Kieran Lee goal of all time here. Uh, great to see. And uh, just the, the kind of blueprint for a Bolton home win that I expect to see quite a lot this season. And they're getting the job done against uh, fellow promotion aspirationals uh, is, a, is a very good, good thing. And then Accrington near Ipswich too. George, quite quickly, we might run out of new things to say about Ipswich, which is a concern going forward for the pod. Um, <laughs> this makes it four away wins out of four. Um, Aki came out strong for maybe 20 minutes after which time Ipswich got control and, and did what they do. Um, didn't get the goal until the 80th Chaplin completely free from a corner to volley in John Coleman will be fuming and rightly so. Uh, and, and Chaplin getting a second to win the game two 0 although I think it was given to Wes Burns. So maybe I should give it to Wes Burns. Yeah, but that was, I enjoyed, that was my only point to make on the game was I really enjoyed how Connor Chaplin wheeled off in celebration and you could basically see Wes Burns running over to him being like, mate, it's me. It's mine. It's me. Stop it. <laughs> I saw the local journal say that when they were interviewing Chaplin after the game, he FaceTimed Wesley and said, it's my goal, isn't it? And Burns went like, yeah, all right. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Uh, I'm just going to keep every now and again updating these insane stats that really underline my bullishness about Ipswich Town. And that is under Kieran McKenna. I know you're bored already, but under Kieran McKenna, they've kept more clean sheets than they have conceded goals. 30 games, 17 clean sheets, 16 conceded. He's won 16 of 30 and 14 of those 16 have come to nil. So there you go. Something of interest here. <laughs> Elsewhere, Oxford 2, Burton 1. George, I wanted to ask you whether this was the glorious return to good vibes for Carl Robinson's Oxford United. But breaking news this morning, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank resigns from Burton Albion and is no longer their manager. Your reaction? It's quite funny. Jimmy, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank re-signed for Burton Albion and, and then was sat on the stands and watched Oxford beat them 5-1 at the Pirelli. And then not long after, he resigns after watching his side lose 2-1 at the Kassam Stadium. Um, yeah, I mean, it was for context of this, because it doesn't seem like a, a terrible result for, for Burton. And, and there wasn't really much in the game either, to be honest. It wasn't like Oxford were, were great value for their 2-0 lead before um, Adebayejo scored the, the goal to make it 2-1. Um, but Oxford's team, Oxford's... Uh, yeah, injury issues mean that their team is 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 a, a real mess at the moment. If you take out the midfield three of, of Brannigan, McGrain and Bate, which is obviously very, very good. Um, you had James Henry playing right wing back, which is not a position that he often plays. Um, you had Kieran Brown playing left wing back. Again, not a position the left-sided centre-back normally plays. You had John Massinho playing um, his second game in, in a week after playing in the Papa John's in midweek, age 36, and he's basically half retired now, Moose. Um, although I do wonder if he could be uh, an option, maybe. I'm sure that some of their, um, Ben Robinson certainly might be putting in a call to um, the player coach at Oxford um, to see if he's interested in the job, I wonder. Um, and then Gatlin and Odonka, a 17-year-old striker who's who's yet to play a league game or yet to start a league game playing up front with Carl Joseph. Um, you know, there was... 
this was a, a team really down to bare bones in terms of of what was available given Matty Taylor and, and Steve Seddon have joined the injury list at Oxford. So by that reckoning, it was a pretty poor performance from Burton, um, who you would think, I know themselves, you know, they lost to Habmey on, on deadline day. Uh, Johnny Smith was suspended as well after his his red card, but they really failed to to make the most of playing against Oxford side at home, um, who were down to bare bones, probably the best time you could possibly play them after the, the poor start to the season. Um, and it just felt to me, the fact that, you know, we had Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank on Super Sunday on the, the day after doing all the analysis for both games. You just, and we mentioned it in pre-season, we mentioned it in the 124s. Does he really have the, the can he be bothered basically to take charge of a, a League One survival campaign? And I think the manner of his departure being a resignation rather than a a, a, a sacking um, suggests that the answer to that is a big resounding no. I mentioned on the betting show that some genuinely freak things have happened in the first six games of the season. Uh, many of them can be traced back to the manager, such as horrific defensive structure and unfortunately dare I say it the personality of the team and in particular their response to going down to 10 men for example as they did uh, twice already this season early in games or just going behind in general um, they threw away uh, I think it was a 4-2 lead against Accrington was it Um, they threw away leads against Cambridge as well something was just very wrong I also feel like it was just an abnormal amount of weird stuff to happen in such a short space of time so in that sense I I have some sympathy and and let's not forget the run that they went on when he was first appointed was genuinely incredible you know Mm. they weren't in a dissimilar situation looking doomed uh, after Buxton's regime uh, and and Hasselbank came in and and saved them and, and then kept them up comfortably last season 16th for Burton in League One taking out any sort of context is a good campaign for that football club so um did a very very good job for can't work out the maths, maybe 80% of his reign, shall we say, 75% of his reign, but it has been pretty shambolic in the last few weeks. So we'll wait and see who might take them forward. At League One, let's wrap it up with Forest Green nil, Shrewsbury 2. This felt to me like quite a big game for both teams. FGI have had a tough fixture list and not picked up many points. Shrews, again, are in that weird spot where they are sensational defensively, you know, really one of the best defensive teams best out of possession teams in the in the division, but also had barely scored a goal from open play. So it felt like quite a crucial one in the sense that whoever lost it was going to potentially start to worry and Shrews have won it fairly comfortably. And if you look at the shot count, you'll see that FGR had more than double the amount of shots. But if you see what the opportunities were, <coughs> Shrews are good for this. You know, they only had five shots in the whole game, but they were. A tap-in at the back post from Pike to open the scoring. Nice play from Shipley. Uh, A one-on-one in the first half that Pike missed. Huge chance. Shipley's finish to make it 2-0, which was just after half-time. Iced the game, really. Also a one-on-one after being set up brilliantly by Bayliss. Really nice combination play. Uh, And then they had two shots from range. Forest Green had the ball, had the territory, you know, which we know is what they want. That's how they want to play, but they haven't yet found the cutting edge in the final third. So... Shrews, I, I still find a confusing one. I think I'm more positive than the majority of their fan base because I respect the way that they go about picking up points, even if it's not the most aesthetically pleasing. Um, they've got an excellent away record, seven points from their four games, but they haven't scored a goal at home in three league games. So you can see why there'd be some chuntering uh, in the home games. As for Forest Green, three defeats in a row, huge game, rearranged game at home to Aki on Tuesday night. They need to stop the rot. Um, that will be one to watch on Tuesday night, the only EFL game, I believe, in midweek. So keep an eye on it. Finish off League One with some draws, a couple of entertaining Desmonds, 
We had Port Vale 2, Cheltenham 2. The highlight being a lovely goal from Lundulu, who you've always said is a quality goal scorer. Great touch. Um, Charlie Brown popping up with an injury time equaliser for Cheltenham to rescue a point, which they needed. Bristol Rovers 2, Morecambe 2. Uh, Morecambe ahead twice in this game. Sweet strike from Jensen Weir to put them ahead. Um, Bristol Rovers coming back twice and uh, in general dominating the, the the game really and a debut goal from Bobby Thomas to equalise. And then Fleetwood and Wickham shared the points as well. Wickham shooting themselves in the knee or rather elbowing themselves in the face after McCleary was sent off for something like that off the ball, which we couldn't really see with the camera. Uh, Mametti scoring his fourth in seven uh, and Musque equalising on his first appearance on loan at Fleetwood from Luton. So that's League One. League two now to finish off this in-depth Monday pod. George Ellick, let me hear you go bad cop. I feel bad. I feel bad for this, um, but I'm going to dig him out anyway. Gilliam Swindon. Haji Monoga on loan at Gillingham from Portsmouth, making his debut for Gillingham. Great day for him and his family. Huge day for him and his family, as you say. Um, bit of a history of, of, of uh, disciplinary issues, uh, having been sent off in an FA Cup match last season whilst around at Bromley. So after six minutes, Monoga sticks out a foot and clips, um, I think it was Gladwin, um, yellow card after six minutes. Fine, you know, whatever. It's, it's not ideal. It's not really how you want to get your, your, your Gillian career underway, but, but fine. And then four minutes later, 10 minutes into his debut, after Gillingham's poor start to the season, Monoga does one of the weirdest counter-attack stopping fouls you've ever seen. Well, I think it, I mean, one of them was Glavin, so I don't know who, was, who the other one was, but Swindon are bracing clear on the counter-attack down the left-hand side. I think it's just inside his own half. And he does one of those sliding tackles where he might think he's got like a 10% chance of getting the ball, but realistically, you know, it's going to be a yellow if you, if you, if you mess up. And he goes for it and he, brings the player down and it's the most blatant second yellow you've ever seen. Neil Harris after the game says that he'd, he'd apologised to him and the players, but he didn't care about the apology uh, that he'd been bailed out by his team as they managed to kind of stubborn their way to a nil-nil draw, a massive opportunity missed by Swindon. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, he's suspended for a game now. Um, I don't think Neil Harris is the kind of manager who I imagine will give loan players too many chances when it comes to, to, to behaving that way. Um, but it's hard to really give the bad cop to anybody else. For I mean, it, yes, I'm sure he's just overexcited, wants to make an impression at his new club. But it's just the manner of the second yellow. We're going into it. It's just you've got to play the percentages there. And he went into a 10-90, knowing that if he if he hit the 90, it was going to be an early bath after 10 minutes. Well, Gillingham have scored one goal so far in the league in uh seven games. So there's quite a few bad cops, if you ask me, uh, at yeah. that club at the moment. A good cop, Sutton United and Matt Gray's 4-4-2. Exactly mm. what this segment was for. Uh, I was at Sutton on Saturday as they beat Harrogate 2-1. It was your nap on the betting show. We're delighted to get that up. Uh, I was in the home end, Michael Obafemi in the away end, and it was a pleasant afternoon in South London. Uh, Sutton were with a better side and deserved their win. Of that, I have no doubt uh, Kizzy put in a beauty of a cross to Beauty Man to head home. Probably the last of the 10 Sutton outfield players that I would have expected to score ahead of Beauty Man. Um, but there we go. It was, a, it was a good goal. Then there was just Harrogate were poor, I felt, all, all over. Uh, but they had a little spell at the end of the first half. Angus hit the bar. Josh Coley, on loan from Exeter, almost scored the goal of the year. Um, again, I think he flicked the bar and then they equalised 
from the penalty spot just before half time. John, the Sutton centre back, who I think looks a little shaky, uh, and I wonder if Aaron Pierre may eventually come for his job. Uh, he went to ground and brought down the player. Sutton fans angry, probably was a pen. And it was just a small period of pressure from Harrogate. But in the second half, it was back to, to normal service, Sutton the better side. Uh, and winning the game, uh, the second half was a tale of two academy players. And, you know, EFL academies do incredible work all over. But pretty amazing this, that clubs the size of Sutton and Harrogate have academies that can produce players that can contribute to their first team in general. Kilian Kouassi scored his first ever EFL goal. I think it might be the first EFL goal for a Sutton United Academy graduate. That's something that I'd like Lovely. to fact-checking, but I think so. Um, and Horbury, Harrogate Academy graduate, came on and was sent off 10 minutes later. So when I say contributing to the first team, I'd say Horbury maybe less so this week, but I'm sure I'll get another go soon. Uh, Sutton were very comfortable after the red card. Um, and I want to shout out the Sutton United Academy because... Um, they became eligible for category four upon promotion. And then this summer, having having more than stayed up, a challenge for promotion, um, they decided to be ambitious. They applied for category three and they got it as well. That means in academy terms that they can have age groups between under nines and under 16s, which you can't have otherwise. So in June, they signed their first ever academy players between the age groups of under nines and under 16s. They've got a guy in Kuasi scoring goals for the first team. They sold a kid to Brighton, who hasn't? Uh, earlier on in the year and uh, and their academy is doing well. But the 4-4-2 is what I want to talk about as well because every time I see it, it makes me happy. Matt Gray has this team doing exactly what he wants. Every single player has such a clear and defined role and the right skill set to carry it out. Um, from Milsom and Randall down the left side, the left back and the left midfielder, you get a different approach to Neufville and Kizzy down the right side. Uh, and both approaches cause problems. Up top, two strikers, one of them will be a target man, Kwame Thomas, generally, or Bugil when he's fit. And the other one will be uh, more of a pacey poacher type to stretch defences and to score the goals. Um, and they just use their width so well. Like their, their players always have a wide option to pass to, which means it's so hard to press them, so hard to win the ball back off them because the, the fullbacks stay very deep. They're not, they're not bombing on. They stay behind their winger. But they're so deep and so wide that generally they're unmarked in possession because you're rarely going to have a winger that's so high up the pitch. They're man marking a fullback that's sitting that deep. Um, and the the wingers, the wide midfielders, they play very deep as well to modern standards, which means the fullbacks, again, they're never going to be right tight onto Neufeld and to Randall because then they'd be miles above their defensive line and then there'd be gaps in behind them. So it was just a few tactical things that I really enjoyed that caused Harrogate problems. Don't get me wrong. It's not, an, you know, it's not a, it doesn't solve everything because once they get the ball out wide, they still have quite a long way to actually create a chance and take a chance. And sometimes when the wingers aren't, aren't on their game and the fullback delivery is poor, then, you know, they're going to fire blanks. But in general, I just find them so impressive. I think they're so much better than the sum of their parts. And that's always the measure of an excellent manager. Uh, so all should be credited to Matt Gray. Lastly, I just wanted to point out that Sutton at the start of last season didn't have any players that anyone would have considered to be the best in the league in their positions. But by the end of the season, you're looking at Adjaboy getting a move to posh. You're looking at Ben Goodliffe, highly sought after before a bad injury, and Alafe back to Millwall. All of those players are gone now. Now you're in the same position. Who are these players can be considered the best in the division? We don't know right now, but in a few months, I can say definitively we'll be talking about certain Sutton players, Neufeld probably, whoever it might be. So really impressive. Great to be there on Saturday. The cheesy chips were an abomination, but I got past that. Um, 
unmelted or what? Or just like bad chips? Oh, mate. Anemic chips, unmelted cheese. It was. It what was kind of cheese was it? Was it not one of those like that, that like footy scran account where it's just like one slice of like orange cheese just, no, just no. dropped on top? Pre grated from a bag, I'd say. Okay. Yeah. That's all right. Anyway, I enjoyed my time at Sutton and then my, my good cop this week. How about, George, some of the other League Two games and performances? How about the league leaders, Leighton Orient, winning 2 0 at home to Tranmere? Yeah, another pretty cosy win uh, for Orient. Um, Orient starts the season so well. Uh, Paul Smith with the uh, the the goal and the assist for the for the uh, for the own goal to open the scoring as well, which he sadly doesn't get, which is one of the my least favourite rules in in um, stats collating in football. Um, but yeah, they, they were very good, and you know, I think there is probably going to be a time quite soon where Orient's um, you know the the rate at which they're picking up points is probably going to have to stop because whilst they they do look great and you know they've won what is it um yet to lose a game so far this season and they uh they've only drawn one of them so um i'm not necessarily convinced that they are that good and i think richie wedden has kind of alluded to it previously but this was a pretty dominant display against the Tramier side who um i'm still uh, pretty concerned about i saw that james vaughan um the kind of director of football had only been in the role for, for not very long uh, has moved on which is, is not a particularly good sign for a a club who are presumably planning on on building from his vision um, and things on the pitch don't look particularly uh, inspiring either. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure what the, the the kind of aspirations are for for uh, for Tranmere going on for, for this campaign. Uh, but for Orient, they've got a couple of away games now against um, AFC Wimbledon, who who themselves haven't had a great start to the season. Then off to Rochdale, who um, clearly look a little bit better under new management, as we saw in the three-old draw, which we won't talk about. But um, you know, Scott quickly came in and, and immediately made an impact for for Jim Bentley's Rochdale. So a couple of tricky-ish away games um, to test Orient, but you know, they they are favourites for a reason um, now in League Two after their good start. Um, but we'll see if they they're able to maintain this level. I think if it wasn't for Northampton, Sam Hoskins having eight goals in seven games, I'd be anointing Paul Smith, the best player of the first month of the season uh, mm. in League Two. Um, he is looking so dangerous in every game with the final ball, with the final finish to match as well. Uh, also of note for Orient is Dan Happer, or Happy rather, the uh, the centre-back is back in. He's all, He's been on everyone's radar for a few years now as a young yeah. left-footed centre-back getting senior minutes at a young age. But last season basically just had a lost year, lost his place in the team under jacket, and then suffered an injury which kept him out for most of the second half of the campaign. But Wellens, unsurprisingly, has got him back in business and Orient looking very well oiled right now. Northampton beat Barrow. Where's, where, where, where's Shadrach? Oh, I think he's just chilling, mate. No rush. Still young. He's had one. He's had one, what, two appearances this season in the league. Sad. We, we do love Shad. Shadrach. We do love yeah. Shadrach, but I wonder if left-sided centre-back in a back three is basically his only position. And yeah, I'm that's more about his fit. As Interestingly, a seemingly played a um, holding midfield role at one point in the season. Ooh, don't hate it. Don't hate it on no. paper. Uh, Northampton three, Barrow one was was much more like it from Cobblers. Um, and Barrow, unfortunately, that incredible run just halted um, uh, Hoskins scoring again. What a good finisher he is. Uh, and then Kieran Bowie, who's that very exciting young Scottish striker on loan from Fulham with a beautiful headed goal uh, and then a set piece goal f- for their third. So this is the kind of new Northampton attack that we started to see at the end of last season that we're seeing this season, scoring a lot of goals. Unfortunately, it has kind of come uh, at the the sacrifice of some of their defensive solidity where they just do not look as tight as 
they used to and as tight as maybe I expected when um, tipping them up to win this division this season. Hopefully they can shore it up. Uh, but even at 3-1, I'm seeing I'm seeing bigger chances for Barrow than I would like to see uh, as a Cobblers um, backer this season, shall we say. But uh, Gab Sutton was here and I noticed that Mark Leonard, who plays in midfield for Northampton on loan from Brighton, getting rave reviews. I believe the Scottish Pierlo was being mentioned as a potential moniker. Um, we will have to check him out and make our independent valuation on that. Uh, crew one, Stevenage two, George Stevenage, Evans, back to winning ways after their first defeat of the season last week. Yeah, having gone behind as well, uh, I can't don't have the stats to hand, but their record from going behind is remarkable this season. Is that the third game that they've come back from 1-0 down to win 2-1? Um, in a game that was it was pretty tight, to be honest. I think crew fans can feel a, a bit aggrieved coming away with nothing here. There wasn't a great deal between the two sides. Um, but after uh, Rob McDonald put um, crew ahead, um, Thomas missed a penalty as well for, for crew. Um, and it was, you know, Stevenage under Steve Evans seemed to have the knack of of, of how to to get home uh, with their noses in front and get all three points. Um, Jamie Reid was the, was the star here with a couple of goals. Uh, hasn't by any stretch been first choice playing up front for Stevenage so far, but another sign of their strength and depth. And um, yeah, I mean, I think for Crew, maybe some starts to uh, some reason to be a little bit concerned. You know, that is three without a win now, that win coming in the, in the home game against Sutton. Um but, you know, after I think on opening day, they put in a performance um, against Rochdale that really looked pretty as if they might be pretty well set under Alex Morris to be to, to try and bounce back. But everything since then has been um, a little bit lackluster. Mm. Big uh, say the goalkeepers had in this one. What a terrible sentence that is. The goalkeepers had yes. a big say in this one. Yes. Uh, Ashby Hammond saving a penalty for Stevenage and Okonkwo in the crew goal. A loose punch, you'd say, to set up Reed to tap in the winner. How about, ooh, I'm going to do Bradford 2, Walsall 1. I'll let you do Donny 1, Mansfield 3. Great. Bradford 2, Walsall 1. I've seen the scoreline. I've checked the numbers. Absolutely not what I expected. Um, Walsall <laughs> absolutely battering Bradford, essentially, for the most part. At 0-0, Harry Lewis in the Bradford goal made a string of very impressive saves, including a penalty save. Um, he was signed by Bradford this summer after release from Southampton. He had never played senior football in England before. He'd had one loan uh, out in Scotland with Dundee United. And you know, I always laughed when Mark Hughes was um, appointed and people said like, oh, his contacts book is going to be amazing. It's going to help them so much. And I sort of laughed and thought that I, I think you're over egging that. I'm not sure it's the most important thing here, but this is probably the best example because Hughes spent a few months with Southampton, didn't he? And Harry Lewis was there and they both referenced it when he signed like, Oh, I saw in a couple of months that the, that the then 16 year olds was a brilliant young goalkeeper. <laughs> and you just think, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, anyway, here he is doing well for Bradford and Jake Young scores great goals. And I just think this Bradford squad is a bit of a joke for the level. Um, so I expect quite big things. I definitely expect better performances than this game, albeit with a victory. Um, here are their options, George. Here is Mark Hughes's options in the three behind the striker in his 4-2-3-1. With the signing of Dion Pereira and Tyreek Wright on deadline day, adding to them Harry Chapman, Jamie Walker, Scott Banks, Jake Young, Alex Gilead, Abu Issa, Tyreek Wright, Dion Pereira, and then up front, Cook, Verdane Oliver, Kean Harrett, Leanne Gold to choose from. Um, amazing options and mm. expect more, but good to get the win when not playing well, as they say. How about that Stags win at Donny? 
Yeah, I think this has been coming um, for, uh, well, certainly for Doncaster. They've had such a good start to the season, but um, they are a team who are probably one of the biggest data outliers so far this season where um, they're picking up points in games where they don't necessarily look like they've deserved it. Um, and I know a lot of people have been pretty surprised to see how big their their odds have been pretty regularly this season. Uh, and the reason for that is because uh, a little dig in at the numbers would suggest that they were running pretty hot and, and that came unstuck here um, against a Mansfield side who've had such a difficult start to the season in terms of fixtures that I think the um, the points they've amassed so far is a, a bit of a warning shot, I think, to the rest of the division. Um, I think Mansfield are, are, are proving themselves to be the team that finished the back end of last season and, um, and a 3-1 win here, a brilliant goal, one of the goals of the day from Ollie Clark to open the, the scoring. Um, the, the Doncaster goal came from the spot, um, which was then returned by Lucas Aikens to make it 3-1 later with his own penalty. Um, this was a, uh, a a deserved win for Mansfield. They were the better side on the day. They created plenty of chances. Um, and it feels like they've got a lovely balance in midfield now with with Clark, Lapsley and Maris um, playing with Hartigan, kind of the, the, the sitting player who's gluing it all together. Uh, and Lucas Aikens being that front man who we know can be can basically do it all as a, as a front man. He's never going to be particularly prolific, but he is able to hold the ball up he's able to run in behind and he's and, he, and he's good at um, I think it was the second goal that he set up for Maris where he got the ball on the right hand side and, and, and cut it back for him as well so they're just a very well balanced very tough to break down decent attacking unit who I um, you know if I if I were to say who I think at this stage are the most likely winners of, of League 2 it would be Mansfield Ooh exclusive mm. I'm not I'm going to sit on the fence because I think it's a mugs game Always, obviously it's funny because you became yet again fence sitter at the end of last yet season. again did now, I now you're realizing it's bad for business to be boring no uh, how about Grimsby and their away win at Newport really impressive they're also good two nil winners potentially a little bit under the radar George like a reverse Coventry where because they've played a game less than everyone their game against Carlisle having been postponed um they have eleven points from six and they've only played two of the six at home winning three of their four away games we're going to be at Grimsby Town next Tuesday and off the back of this and off the back of the last five weeks it's exactly where I want to be on a Tuesday night because I'm pretty excited mm. about the mighty Mariners yeah they look great Paul Hurst and, and Grimsby deserve massive credit it's, it's easy to forget that they um, were a side of the National League who kind of snuck into the playoffs before winning them um, so you know, if you look at the the points discrepancy between Stockport and Grimsby last season, it was massive. So for them to be turning up the way they are at the moment is really impressive. They look very, very um, good. You know, they were good value for the win against Newport. Um, they have um, a lot of key players performing at a at a high level. Um, Bryn Morris is probably the pick of them uh, on the day here. Um, but they're just, you know, Hurst. It, it's Hurst's career on the line here, basically. Um, in, in terms of being an EFL manager, things went wrong so quickly for him. And, and I'm really impressed by how he is being able to, or how he is managing to get this Grimsby side, you know, immediately they, they don't look like they're in any threat of relegation in my mind. Uh, and they look like a team who could be one of those, a bit like a Sutton last year, although of course, in terms of, of, of profile of club, um, Grimsby have uh, much more of a, an EFL pedigree, but just purely in terms of being a, a team who are maybe a bit of a surprise to get promoted. Um, showing just how good value they were for that promotion and how good they are now. I'm, I'm very excited I, to see them on Tuesday. Could I put forward rather than Sutton as a comparison? How about Lincoln City when they came up from the National League? Well, mate, don't you dare. You compare Grimsby to Lincoln, you're going to be chased out of the county on arrival, I'm afraid. Okay, uh, looking forward to that and a great away win. Um, Stockport beat Wimbledon 1-0. 
a very, very comfy 1-0 win. Um, Stockport looking very strong. Wimbledon definitely not looking that. Uh, Fraser Horsfall scoring his first of the season from a set piece. It was only a matter of time, wasn't it? He scored nine last season, uh, first of the campaign. I think all of their centre-backs look a threat from set-piece situations. Lewis, Johnson, Horsfall all had shots in this game. Hussey and Southam Hales um, whipping in good deliveries. It's uh, it's going to be a, a, a fruitful avenue, dare I say it, for Stockport this season. And at 1-0, they looked the more likely team to score another with Wimbledon offering uh, little really in response. So uh, we spoke last week, or I spoke on my monologue pod, about the fact that there's this issue at, down the right side for Wimbledon. The right wing back issue is the main topic of conversation amongst the fans at the moment. Uh, wasn't addressed in the transfer window on deadline day. And it's it remains an issue here. I noticed that Jackson switched system for the second half to go 4-3-3. Gunter playing a sort of regulation right back role. Gunter's kind of at the, at the centre of this conversation as not being um, a great fit for a right wing back role. So it'd be Something to keep an eye on, that's for sure, as Wimbledon look to um, kickstart their season after a, a stop-start start. Uh, and um, Carlisle 3, Rochdale 3, as you said, we, we're not going to talk about the game too much. You did note that Quigley looked excellent, joined on deadline day. I do think it is our responsibility to note managerial appointments, and we could not do that last Monday. So, George, Jim Bentley in at Rochdale to replace Stockdale. What do you make of that choice? Intriguing. You know, the, the job that he did at Morecambe, um, it, it, it received a lot of credit at the time and I would say rightly so. I think it's easy because of the job that Derek Adams has done in the aftermath to downgrade it. Um, but I think just because um, Adams was able to somehow steer Morecambe into League One, it doesn't take away from the fact that Jim Bentley consistently had perennial relegation favourites operating at a, at a much higher level. Um, he went to AFC Fylde. Um, he's left them in the National League North. Um, you know, People know that we aren't uh, by no means a National League expert, so I'm not entirely sure what happened there, but it seems like things didn't necessarily go particularly to plan. Um, I think a fair bit of, of, of cost-cutting after COVID, I've read about seemingly changed, kind of moved the goalposts a little bit in terms of what that job was. Um, but I, I think it's quite a smart appointment. I think going and getting someone who's who's made his name as a um, a bit of a firefighter or somebody who gets the very, very most from possibly the worst squad and the lowest budget in the league is, is a pretty smart thing to do. And we immediately saw an improvement, you know, in quickly they've got a player who, who we know can, can score goals and is a very clever player. You know, he's, he's creative as well as being a goal scorer, as was seen in, in the in the three-all draw. Um, there's a lot of work to do, you know, from 3-1 from up away from home, conceding twice was suboptimal. But similarly, they had, they had 10 minutes to, to stick it out to uh, to make sure they got their point, which they did pretty well. So um, it's, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily an appointment that will guarantee survival. I don't think that exists, but I do think it's a smart appointment down to the um, to the kind of blueprint of manager. Um, you've gone and got someone who's, this was his bread and butter for years at Morecambe. Um, so, uh, but in terms of, of longer term aspirations, uh, well, we saw what Derek, Derek Adams did. <laughs> uh, I don't know if he's someone who's, who's necessarily equipped to, to lead a team towards the top end. Right. So potentially... A high floor, but maybe a low ceiling, like that bungalow at Cambridge United. Um, yes. Bez Labala marked his Colu debut with an injury time equaliser against Hartlepool to get them out of jail. That would have been a disastrous result uh, if not for Bez. Uh, and Crawley got a creditable 2-2 draw at Salford coming from behind twice. Gillingham nil, Swindon nil, you've already mentioned it, was a game that happened in Kent. A uh, hugely enjoyable hour and a half in your company, George. It's great to have us both back together over Zoom on a Monday pod. Um, mm. And I look forward to 
coming back and doing the same with you on Thursday ahead of the weekend. I uh, hope everyone's enjoyed this podcast. Huge thank you to Betfair, our sponsors, for their support of this podcast throughout the season and last season as well. We're hugely grateful. If you've enjoyed this, drop a retweet. See, we might catch a couple of new listeners. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, otherwise, hope you've enjoyed it and enjoy the start of your week and go well.